It's about creating conversations that create other conversations. Arrow.net. A-R-R-O-E.net. All right, let's do it. Let's play it forward. These are real people, real stories, the struggle to play it forward. Episode number 474 is with Nell McShane Wolfhart, the author of The Great Stewardess Rebellion. I'm great, Arrow. How are you? Absolutely fantastic. I'm glad you put this book together because what, what you're writing about is is something that, I, as a child, I mean, stewardesses were the thing. I mean, it was they, they were inspirations to boys as well as girls. Right. That's exactly it. Right. Super glamorous. So beautiful. So like, you know, living these cosmopolitan lifestyles. It was really an aspirational career. I've always believed that the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders came from stewardess because, I mean, you guys set the standard and the style and the rest of the world caught up. Uh, well, I, I have never been a stewardess. I've only been a journalist, but uh, I do I do admire them. That's for sure. Absolutely. The Great Stewardess Rebellion is what we're talking about. It's the name of the book. This, this is a huge part of the American dream as well as the American fantasy. And yet it did not come as smooth as everybody thinks it did. That's exactly right. Um, you know, we have this idea of like, just like you described, this super glam era of the golden age of travel, everything's super fancy and these wonderful stewardesses. But the flip side of that is that those stewardesses had really difficult working conditions. They got fired if they got pregnant. They got fired if they got married. And they got fired when they turned 32. And that's just a start. Why were the rules so tough? Because, I mean, I, I understand image is everything. I mean, branding is, 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 that, is that thing that keeps America moving forward. But, but still, it just really seemed like it was a tough world to be in. It was hugely important to the airlines that they keep their workforce like young and as conventionally attractive as possible because that's what sold tickets. Yep. And on the flip side, when you fire people when they turn 32, they know they're not going to make that job into a career. You know, they're just in it for a few years between high school and college. I mean, after high school and college, before they get married or before they have kids. So they're not that invested also in changing those working conditions. And they're not making that kind of seniority pay that you get when you've been on the job for a couple of decades. What what were the conversations like when you would sit one on one with these that have traveled this way? Because, I mean, I mean, I would say, think that they've, there's got to be some PTSD in there because there was always a day of fear. Because when, when people come up to you, and you, they can do a girdle check at any time. I would be afraid every step I take. They were afraid at some points, for sure. But the women I interviewed for this book who were, you know, flying in the cabin in the 60s and 70s, they were fighters. They really took that fear and that anger and they channeled it into change. Like they basically behaved in a way that is the opposite of what people thought of when they thought of a stewardess, you know, smiling and docile and, you know, very placid. They were they were feisty and they were fighters and they they made the change through basically through just getting really angry. <laughs> well, well, you bring up a very good and interesting point to listeners in the way like you're talking about the 60s and 70s. I mean, that was right there when, when girl power was starting to you know be out there in, in the headlines and everything like that. And, and here were these women on these airlines that, are, that were trying to make a difference as well. That's exactly right. As the women's movement was taking off and there was more sexual liberation and, you know, women could get things like credit cards in their own name. There was this sort of new feeling of freedom and women's rights. But then they would, you know, change out of their bell bottoms and go to work in, you know, on the plane and they'd be in these mini skirts that were mandated by the airline, like tiny, tiny uniforms, because they thought that's what the passengers wanted. And they weren't getting as much pay as the men. And they had to get weighed before they got on the plane yeah. because they had to maintain very strict weight limits. And if they went a couple pounds over, they could be pulled off the flight. So there was this real contradiction between like the 70s and the women's movement and all the excitement and freedom that came along with that. And then these incredibly restrictive working conditions on the airlines. So as a journalist and, and you doing the research and stuff, 
Did any of this just upset you? I mean, I realize it's in our past, but it would really upset me if I sat there and heard the conditions. I got so mad. (laughs) I was like, and especially, you know, the book is also full of these airline ads that they had that they ran in the 70s that are the most sexist things you have ever seen. Even United Airlines had a tagline on their ads for a while that like had a picture of the stewardess and underneath it said, she's going to make someone a great wife. And then they were, yeah. (laughs) And like, it got much worse than that. There was a whole campaign on like, fly me this sort of you know double meaning i'm linda fly me with a picture of a smiling stewardess um and yeah we really shake our tails for you that was continental i know so basically the further i got into the research some of it was funny it was so ludicrous as to be funny but most of it just made me really mad (laughs) and and yet i could just see the businessman of that era sit there and 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 buy their tickets just because of that they're going out you know i came onto this airline to see beautiful women where are they that's exactly right. But that's how the airlines sold the tickets to them. You know, it almost like was wasn't their fault. They were the airlines were using the stewardesses to sell those tickets. One airline for a while even made the stewardesses kiss each passenger on the cheek Shut as up. he left the plane. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) And then you had these men sort of turning their faces and trying to catch the stewardess on the lips. I mean, it's unimaginable today. Oh, my God. How unfamily is that? Because (laughs) that's a fire starter. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I I, I once had a program director that that traveled across the country so many times, but it was all based on his favorite uh, stewardess. And and, and, and I I used to think, how is that? Why, dude? I mean, you don't want to have a relationship. He says, I just love being with her. And I love being in the sky with her. I'm going, man, that's a tough cookie right there. Wow. I have never heard that, but that's, that's impressive. I mean, that's great service, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so now one of the, one of the things that was, I found very interesting uh, in, in reading the book is the fact that, and a lot of people don't know this, is that the nails had to be perfect. The teeth had to be perfect. The makeup was so important. They really dug in on this. The appearance standards were amazing. And that's, of course, like a lot of unpaid labor and a lot of unpaid hours you're putting in before you even get on the plane. Because, Mm. yes, your hair had to be just so your makeup had to be perfect. Some airlines mandated false eyelashes. You had to put those on or you had to wear eyeshadow in a certain color. You couldn't have a chip in your nail polish. That was like they could pull you off the flight for something like that. And yeah, you had to wear a girdle or a mini skirt or whatever kind of clever, clever uniform the airline had come up with for that season. And how were they supposed to perform in the way that they are trained? Like if, if there's trouble in the sky, that mini skirt would not that just just doesn't really fit the, the, the you know, hey, I need I'm going to save your life. Look, I've got a mini skirt on. That's exactly right. And that was one of the things that made the stewardesses in my book so angry, which is that they knew that they're in the sky because they're safety professionals, right? Mm -hmm. They're there to make sure everyone who gets gets on the plane gets off the plane safe and sound. That's their job. That's what they're trained for. But the passengers basically think they're just flying waitresses and, you know, eye candy. So that's definitely something that was a, a point of contention. And like I said, with these sexist ads and with these very skimpy uniforms, the airlines were really pushing that agenda you know they were encouraging passengers to to think of stewardesses like that and there's no way to go back to embarrass the companies these days in this cancer uh, this i mean this cancel culture world <laughs> actually the weight issue the idea that you know flight attendants have to stay under a certain weight in order to fly is still being fought at Are a couple of airlines um so that if, if we want to start canceling people we could start there <laughs> so the rules were not the same for the men then right 
Not at all. Um, men didn't come on board domestic flights until around 1972. So first of all, it took a while to get them on the plane. But then, yeah, they could didn't have to wear nail polish. They didn't have to wear makeup. And also one big point of contention was that their uniform had flat shoes. Yep. And when you're flying cross country, I mean, you can rack up eight miles of walking in a single flight. And the female flight attendants had to do all that in high heels. Mm. I see. I can't walk on an airplane without going leaning on this way, leaning on that way and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't know how, they, how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm wearing usually my slippers, so <laughs> I can't imagine doing it in three inch heels. So Gloria Steinem and, 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 and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were, were locked in on this. Yeah, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is sort of on the periphery of the story because she was working on the um, Women's Rights Project at the ACLU. But Gloria Steinem was right in there with the stewardesses. She was at these meetings that they held to try and fight for their rights in the workplace. She was a huge supporter of theirs. She would come to their their conferences. Like every all these stewardesses, they loved Gloria Steinem because she also, you know, she was flying all the time and she was friendly with them on the planes. And she just was, has been a big supporter of theirs from the very beginning. And that's still true today. I mean, talk about research right there in front of you. I mean, as as a, as a judge, my God, it's right there. And you can study human behavior on an airline. <laughs> I wonder if humans are maybe at their very worst when they're on the airplane. Ooh. I think have a feeling they might be. Well, especially these days. I mean, my God. I mean, it's, it's almost like everybody's got a legal license to do whatever they want. That's exactly right. And so if you're a, you know, a flight attendant right now, you're kind of doubling as a security guard as well. It, it's a really difficult time to be a flight attendant. So women are going to read this book and I know they're going to be inspired to change their own workplace because as we break free of this lockdown and people are going back to work, they, they're coming with rules because they, they enjoyed the comfort of being remote at home, but they don't want to be trapped in a cubicle for the rest of, their, of, of the day and stuff like that. Do you not think that this book will help inspire them to create change at the workplace? I certainly hope so. I think there's a lot of lessons we could learn from what was happening in the 60s and 70s and the way that people, you know, that these women united to push back against change. And I think we can even see that right now with the with the union movement going on at, you know, Amazon warehouses yes. and individual Starbucks stores. Like people are realizing that if they band together, they can push back on unfair working conditions and they can make real change. So how does that make you feel as a journalist? Because you're reaching beyond, you know, corporate America journalism and stuff like that. When you put a book out there like this, you are really getting inside the mind, body and soul. This isn't a, a, a soundbite. No, this was it's actually when you're used to being a freelance journalist and you're working on like 20 different articles at once <laughs> to take a couple of years and just work on a single project does feel like a huge it's a huge mindset shift. Um, but this was just a real passion project for me. I mean, I'm so interested in the women's movement and the labor movement. And who doesn't love a stewardess? It was just a real like fascinating deep dive. And, and the women I got to talk to. These are the most like interesting, feisty, troublemaking, <laughs> funny women that I've met in a, in a very long time. See, so that, that's, it was a real pleasure to talk to them. That's why I like sitting down with with a flight attendant, because, I mean, it's, it's amazing how they have got their life so programmed out these days and where they're going to be flying into what city, what hotel they'll be staying in and what they're going to be doing. I mean, they, it, it really is a working machine uh, in, in this day and they demand respect. They demand respect. They, they don't always get it from passengers, especially yeah. these days, as you pointed out. But it's definitely a case of, um, yeah, of they, should, they should be getting a lot more respect than they are. I would say that. Hopefully they're not treated like mascots today like they like they were back then. 
Well, you know, I think there's still this kind of idea, like the the powerful idea of like the sexy stewardess. It was so strong and it was propagated by the airlines everywhere back in the 60s and 70s. And I don't think we're really even free of that now. I still think there's sort of this like aura of, uh, you know, sex cells around flight attendants. And I don't think they've been able to quite shake that off. Did you go up and talk to any modern day people these days? Uh, You know, because I mean, nobody knows who their their flight attendants are going to be until they open that door. And then you walk in there, you're going, hmm, or you go, hey, you know, I'm going, okay, where's the best seat that I can have? and, And how can we work together as a team if something does go wrong? Right. Well, I think that's a great attitude and that, that's the right attitude to have. But I think a lot of people right now are getting on the plane and be like, I need my five drinks wow. and I'm not going to put my seatbelt on or, you know, my mask or whatever. And then we end up, you know, in, in very dangerous situations. The book we're talking about is The Great Stewardess Rebellion. Now, with the research that you've done and you being a journalist, did you see any thing that basically they're together? There's a lot of things going on in the journalism world, too. Um, in terms of comparison, uh, comparing like, yeah, um, I don't know. It's a really different kind of job. I think flight attendants spend so much time with people, mm-hmm. um, that I think they develop this like incredible ability to talk to anybody and be friendly with anybody and accommodate people in, in a really special way. I'm not sure I could say the same about journalists. <laughs> yeah. We are a little bit inward, aren't we? Especially when it comes to a project and stuff like that. It's like, no, 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 leave me alone. Let me, let me, let me, let me get this thing done right now. This is where my focus is. Whereas a, a flight attendant, you, you've got to be prepared for any conversation with whatever role you're going into each each row has a different story that's exactly it yeah i think you have to be just endlessly accommodating and that's a real skill that i think people undervalue Mm -hmm. so now did i read right that jimmy hoffa actually stepped into this circle as well there's a lot of celebrity cameos in this book it turns out that quite a lot of famous people were involved with the stewardesses in one way or another and yet um back in the 60s the teamsters they wanted to organize flight attendants they wanted to bring them into the teamsters and there's a couple of uh, big scenes in the book some confrontations between the flight attendants and jimmy hoffa which i think is really fun and and fascinating what what did you learn from that confrontation because i mean i mean we're, we're talking about an iconic figure and you know and working closely or going against the the stewardess well i think the interesting thing was that when my when the stewardess is in my book, when this one woman, Pat Gibbs, when she first met Jimmy Hoffa, she was like a 20 year old stewardess. She was part of the union. She was very excited about the union. But she had this idea in her head about the Teamsters. that They were like crowbar wielding, tire chain throwing, that they were thugs, essentially. And she actually yells at Jimmy Hoffa that she's never going to be a Teamster. She doesn't want to be a Teamster. Their tactics are despicable. So she storms off. And then she told me that like after about five or 10 years on the job, when she saw how difficult it was for women, she said she would she admired Hoffa and she would have done anything that it took to get equal rights for women in in the airplane cabin. Wow. So how much of this book was put on a yellow tablet and then from the yellow tablet, it went to the computer? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I would say zero yellow tablet and all really? <laughs> Yeah, I don't even remember how to write by hand anymore. Oh my god! Well, I've gotten lazy with that because when, when when you can talk into your phone and it spell you know it does it all for you, it's like ah, I don't want to even text anymore. I just want to talk. Let it let it go. Let it go that way. Absolutely yes. Either way, but there there was very few there, there were very few yellow tablets involved. So, do you find yourself uh, on on some sort of tour, a book tour, in the way of also an inspirational tour to where you that where you meet with uh, local flight attendants and stuff like that, and 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 you talk to inspire them to grow forward to say, look, awareness is key here. If something isn't right, you've got to speak out. 
You know, I think flight attendants right now, like every worker, like we discussed, is just so much more aware of how they can change their working conditions. You know, they don't need me to to tell them. I think that there are definitely some lessons in this book that people can learn about, you know, banding together to fight for your rights and to make things better in your workplace. But there's a lot of flight attendant movements going on right now. Um, there's one that's pay me for boarding. That's a big one right. because it's not commonly known that flight attendants aren't paid for the boarding process. And, you know, if you're on the plane, sit, sits on the tarmac for two hours because of some kind of delay, flight attendants aren't getting paid for that time. See, that, and that, that's the business side of the airline business, because, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And we as regular people don't understand. You know, we, we just think that, oh, you're, you're like the rest of us. Once, once you check into work, time begins now. But they're paid by the flight, are they not? Exactly. Yeah, they're paid for the hours there in the air. So, um, you know, be nice to your flight attendant. <laughs> Don't take out your anger, <laughs> anger on him or her. Now, did you did you have any moments when you when you were putting things together where it was like you physically learned something that you that you thought like, oh, my God, I can't wait to put this out there because this belongs to everybody else? You know, a lot of that came with watching or learning um, what they did through their union, because flight attendants are almost all unionized, um, except at Delta, which is there's a big union drive going on there right now. But it was really interesting to learn how flight attendants who we associate with this kind of like, you know, cocktail waitress in the sky image that yeah. goes all the way back to, to the 70s. But they're actually like militant, you know, union leaders and labor leaders and it was just so fascinating to to learn about how like they really took control of their union they're at the bargaining table they're negotiating like they're out there fighting and that a lot of the steps that they took are kind of landmarks in the labor movement. It's really interesting. You know, when we talk about unions and stuff like that, and I think it's because of Hollywood and, and because of basically history, uh, when I think of unions, I think male-driven. But are the, are the, the, the flight attendant uh, unions, are they, are they female-driven? Is it girl power? <laughs> um, that's exactly right. I all I always used to think about unions that way too, and I think that's still true for a lot of unions. Good. But I would say that flight attendants have been the exception to that rule, like through the decades. Um, and I talk about that a lot in my book, how they basically escaped from a male-dominated union and they formed their own woman-led independent union. But I think um, you know, for with a wider lens, if we look at the union movement that's happening right now, so much of it is being yet led by by women, by, you know, the younger generation and by, you know, black people and people of color. It's just a totally different scene than what we think about of like, you know, you know, a, a white guy driving a truck. Did you ever lean into a conversation and say, did you ever get tired of watching the same movie every single flight? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think they have a lot of time to be watching the movies. I, you know, there's fewer flight attendants on every flight now with airlines trying to cut costs. Mostly I see them like rushing around. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen one of them watching a movie. <laughs> or, or, or the actual act where they're sitting there talking about the safety and stuff like that with the, with the seatbelt and stuff like that. I always love watching them because you can tell those that want to play and have a good time while they're doing it. And there are those that are like, oh, my God, I cannot believe I'm going to do this two more times today. <laughs> right. There's definitely a few of them are like making the best of it. And a few of them are just like totally checked out, which I get, you know, they've done it thousands of times. I totally get it. So as a journalist and as a broadcaster, how do we help humanize and, and, and really bring out that air, flight attendants are, are real people? They, they are one of us. They just happen to have a job on an airplane. I think if we could train ourselves to think of flight attendants as safety professionals yeah. rather than people who are there to serve you a drink on a plane, that would that would be the main thing. You know, it's like just about giving respect to the people who are actually in charge and who you might need to save your life. You know, God forbid. But just in case. 
Yeah, yeah, because I mean the the uh, um, the the miracle flight uh, the, that flight came from Charlotte, and that airplane is in Charlotte, and and I got the opportunity to meet with those flight attendants and and, and even the the pilot, and and it's to sit down and have a conversation with them, and to see how much you're absolutely right. It, it's about safety in the sky, and it starts with them. I I it, it changed my life forever, and and that's going to be what this book is going to do to a lot of people as well. I hope so. I, I t- there's a lot of stories in the book um, that I got out of flight attendants who talk about plane catching on fire or engine failure. In, <laughs> in one terrible case, somebody died on the plane and they had to put him in the bathroom. This was 50 <laughs> years ago because there was like nowhere else to store the body. Um, but they're, you know, flying is very safe. Of course, it's safer than driving a car, but there there's always the possibility of an emergency. And when you don't respect the people who are in charge, that can only lead to disaster for everybody. So, you know, be good to your flight attendant. Wow, you just painted a big picture there with the with a person that passed away in the bathroom and 50, yeah. 50 years ago, you say? that I bet you there was a lot of smoking on that plane that day. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to know the first federal ban on smoking in the workplace came from flight attendants. Um, that was like nice. legislation that they drove because, you know, they're flying back and forth all the time. So, you know, back when smoking was allowed on the plane, maybe someone would smoke a couple cigarettes in a couple hours. They wouldn't think twice about it. But when you're working all day, go on flights, going back and forth, and you're breathing in the smoke of like 150 people at one time, you know, it's uh, it's pretty, pretty gross. Wow. So they actually pushed that change themselves. A brilliant book, Nell. Man, I can't wait for the follow up because I know that your little your creative mind is going to go and dig in somewhere else after this book. And, and, and I, I, I cannot <laughs> wait for that book. That's so nice of you to say. Thanks so much, Arrow. Well, you be brilliant today, okay? Thank you. Have a great one.